Good morning to you all. A little different uh, tack this morning on uh, for a message entitled it The Dark Side of the Christmas Story. And um, so you're thinking Christmas has a dark side? Um, and just as you're gearing up for a holly jolly Christmas, I'm going to bring a downer into the picture. Well, actually, what I'm hoping is that uh, the subject we're looking at today will only make us appreciate the Christmas story more. I don't always get into seasons a great deal, but this year I have really gotten into the Christmas story. And um, I think it was something about uh, being in that Christmas play <laughs> and uh, just immersing myself in the in in what was happening it uh it just seemed like i've connected with the story like maybe i never have before and uh you know i can't quite i'm, I'm still thinking you know like uh, like i'm the innkeeper <clears throat> but what i think can happen with the christmas story you know it's so beautiful that if we're not careful, we can view it as like this cutesy uh, manger scene, complete with angels and joy to the world all around. And we forget. Now, certainly there's much joy. There's super amount of joy in the Christmas season and what it means and what it was the beginning of. But if we look a little deeper, there's also pain. There's anguish. There's intrigue, there's sacrifice, and the story is so much deeper than just a cutesy manger scene. So these are some of the things we want to look at this morning, the cost of being part of this story. And we'll be looking at Mary and Joseph, we'll be looking at Jesus himself, uh, we'll stop off briefly with King Herod. And we want to come away with a renewed appreciation for those who sacrifice deeply to make the incarnation a reality. So let's set the stage. Mankind was in a great need, a need for a redeemer. And as we know, things hadn't gone all that well on planet Earth. There's a war between good and evil. It began at the time of Adam and all the way up to Christ. And it, if, you, if you, you know, read through what happened, you would almost have to say that uh, if evil didn't have the upper hand, it sure had a strong hand, okay? Uh, think of the song, hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But from the fall of mankind, there was, there was hints of, that there would be a redeemer. So I've, I've had this thought. Wouldn't the powers of darkness recognize that and try to thwart any plans that God would have of, re, of redemption? And so I, I've had this question that there's no answer. We don't have an answer, but it's worth thinking about how, how much how, how much do you think the powers of darkness knew about what was going on with this plan of redemption do you think they 
knew anything. Um, in First Corinthians, it's, it's talking about the crucifixion, and it says that the, the the powers of darkness wouldn't have crucified the Lord of Glory if they had realized what this was ha- what was happening here. And so I don't know how much the powers of darkness knew about um, what was going on with Jesus' birth. I have a feeling they knew very little. And if you think about the way um, the way God went about it, um, I just like to say I, I love the way God orchestrated Jesus' birth. And um, he did it a lot like I would have done it if I would have had the chance. No famous people, just a common country girl with an uncommon yieldedness to God's will. Just a quiet carpenter with a quiet and faithful determination to do the right thing. No big splash on social media. Okay, so the angel choir, that was sort of an extravaganza, I guess. But who'd they sing for? Wasn't in some great cathedral uh, somewhere. They, They sang for the lowly shepherds not some aristocratic crowd somewhere. Born of all places in a stable with a manger for a bed. If, uh, if we were speaking in human terms, we would say, well, it took a while to think all that up. But, uh, you know, God, I'm sure had it in mind ever since before the foundation of the world. Uh, Mary's brother Mark and some of his family are visiting and uh, always always learn something when uh, Mark comes around. And uh, I really, he gave us a keeper this time. And um, he was talking about... uh, when he dies and when he's going to be buried and so on. And he said he just wants everything to just keep it one notch above embarrassment. <laughs> and uh, now sometimes you got to dig a little deeper to figure out what Mark's trying to say. <clears throat> but what he meant was, and I'm right on board, uh, he doesn't like a big show. And, you know, why don't, don't buy the $10,000 casket. And just do just what you have to do. You know, he doesn't want to embarrass anybody, but just do one notch above that and keep it there. Well, I was thinking the birth of Jesus, where was that on the embarrassment level? Uh, I'm not sure if it was one notch above, was it? It was, it was, it was pretty common. This the level of Jesus' birth. This this was the Son of God. So we're going to read a little scripture, but as we read, let's be thinking below the surface, okay? Let's let's think beyond the cutesy Christmas image that we have sometimes. How did this feel? What was the cost to the individual involved? So let's begin by thinking of Mary. And we'll read some verses from Luke 1. 
beginning at verse 26, and we'll read through verse 38. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. She was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary asked the obvious question. She said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary says some beautiful words here. And Mary said, Behold the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary is the favored one, the angel says. And then Mary goes on uh, to give this inspired reading here, uh, beginning at verse 46. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regard for the humble estate of his bond slave. And behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel his servant in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. All right, Mary realizes that she says, All generations will call me blessed. And that's that's true. Um, <clears throat> but is that all that came with her calling? Just all blessing? When she asks, how can this be, since I'm a virgin? We realize that for many people, in their minds, she couldn't be a virgin. There was no precedent for virgin births. But she agreed to this. She said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord. I'm, I'm in your hands. You, you do with me as you will. The consequences be what they may. So I think this was a stigma she bore the rest of her life. People unsure of what kind of a person she was. Later, when Jesus was in con conversation with the scribes and the Pharisees, 
And the scribe said to him, um, we were not born of fornication. And I think what they were insinuating was that Jesus was. In Luke's genealogy of Jesus, Luke says, when he, Jesus, began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph. People supposed a lot of things. And that's what, uh, that's what Mary lived with. <clears throat> now let's jump over to Simeon's prophecy in Luke 2, beginning at verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed... And here's what we want to see. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. All right, is, is Mary's lot in life so full of blessing? She's the mother of the Son of God. Is it all blessing? No. Simeon says a sword is going to pierce her own heart, her own soul. And we don't, we don't know these things, but as, as Mary watched the ministry of Jesus, did she, did she worry about him? Uh, did she realize that the religious leaders wanted him dead? And as he went around the countryside, did, did she worry? Uh, you mothers, can you identify with a mother's heart? on your son being in danger. And of course, the ultimate sword that pierced her soul had to be when she saw him on the cross. And it's really special. Jesus took a notice of his mother there and told John to look. Uh, here's your mother. She, he was asking John to take Mary under his wing, take care of her. So it's true that we, we bless Mary. We call her blessed. The, the uh, Catholics basically worship her, which we obviously, that's not uh, the way we look at Mary, but we certainly count her as, as, as being a blessing and blessed. But all these blessings came at a tremendous cost to her. And Mary wasn't the only mother to whom Jesus' birth brought a sword. Let's sing joy to the world. The Lord is come to the Bethlehem mothers. The ones who, who lost their baby boys two years old and younger. And while we gather with the doves from the rafters high and the sheep with the curly horn and the cow all white and red and the donkey all shagging and brown, worshiping the newborn king, the Bethlehem, the Bethlehem mothers are weeping in great mourning, refusing to be comforted because their children are no more. Jesus' birth came at a great cost to the Bethlehem mothers. 
In our joy over the Christmas story, let's take time to grieve with them. Let's look uh, briefly at Joseph. <coughs> I'll read some from Matthew chapter 1. Beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And then we have the story of the wise man. And then um, the angel appears to Joseph in another dream. In all, uh, an angel appears to Joseph four times. And each time it says Joseph got up and did what the angel told him to do. <clears throat> and we don't know how Joseph felt early on. How long did he know that Mary was with child before the angel appeared to him and said, don't be afraid to take her as your wife? There had to have been a time there where his perfect little world was shattered with the news that Mary, his bride-to-be, was with child. It was during the betrothal period, which usually lasted about a year. And it was uh, considered so serious that it could only be broken by divorce. I hope this period didn't last long. I hope the angels soon came. <clears throat> But in verse 19, we see the stuff that Joseph was made of. It says, Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Even if he was bitterly disappointed, he didn't want to bring disgrace. He was a righteous man. And in protecting Mary, it brought suspicion on himself. And look how he stuck with Mary and the child Jesus, even though this child was not his child in a biological sort of way. And when the, the wise men went back the other way and King Herod was um, upset, the angel appeared to Joseph and said, get up, 
uh, flee because Herod wants this child's life. He got up while it was still night and left. So in, instead of going back to Nazareth to his little carpentry business and his probably peaceful life, he's on the dusty road to Egypt watching over his shoulder for King Herod's soldiers. What a privilege to be the earthly father and protector of Jesus. But it came at quite a cost. We don't know much about Joseph after that. We, we do know the story about when uh, Jesus was left in the temple and they had to come back to find him. I think that's probably the last reference we have of Joseph. I don't know if he faded off the scene, uh, maybe passed away. But certainly we look at Joseph as an un unsung hero in the Christmas story. Okay, now let's look briefly at Herod. Herod is the obvious villain in our story here today. And I want to say that power almost without fail corrupts. It's, it's, the, it's the story of man. It's the, it's the story of history. Uh, it's happening this very day. Power has corrupted people. And so the, the wise men stop by. <clears throat> Herod meets them. And here's this news about this new king of the Jews. And it says that Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, I wondered, you know, why was all Jerusalem troubled? I can understand maybe Herod. And, well, I thought, if you have an insanely jealous, narcissistic tyrant in power, when he's troubled, we're all troubled because we don't, we don't, you don't know what a person like that will do. And then in verse 16, he's not only troubled, it says when he realized the wise men had given him the slip, it says, um, he was enraged. He became very enraged and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. And Herod dies within a year or so after this incident. Um, this new baby was absolutely no threat to him in the least. But that just goes to show how when power comes to, gets to somebody's head. And uh, that's the way, that's the type of man Herod was. He, he was ruthless. He'd, he'd killed several members of his own family. He'd, he'd killed one of his wives. And he stopped at nothing to uh, make sure his power were protected. You know, there, there are levels of evil. Jesus said in his teaching, don't return evil for evil. That's one level. Herod took evil to quite another level. When you do evil, when you want to do evil to something that is good, that's, 
holy good. That's that's really really evil. That was that was Herod. Okay, now let's look at Jesus. By far, we talked about there were sacrifices to be made in this story. By far, Jesus is the one who made the biggest sacrifices. And I'm, this is my first time going first. I, I don't have a clue about the times. So. <laughs> <coughs> <coughs> we sing silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild. Sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. I think that was a peaceful night, but the calm didn't last for very many nights. And think of this, Jesus came from the glories of heaven all the way to the stable and all the way to the dusty road down to Egypt. This was already a tremendous sacrifice, and we, we haven't even come close to talking about the cross. You know, this, this whole idea of the incarnation, which the incarnation means God becoming flesh. You know, it's really a wild idea and blows your mind how that could happen. It's a miracle unprecedented in the history of mankind. We look at the baby in the manger and we say, how cute and how precious. But are we thinking of the cost? Again, not even necessarily about the cross, but just that Jesus used a complete light and purity came down to walk on this grimy, sin-cursed earth with the basest of men. I want to read a couple verses from Philippians 2. Philippians 2, beginning at verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. <clears throat> he didn't hold on to... He was equal with God. He was the second person of the Trinity. But he didn't grasp onto that and say, I can't, I can't let loose of any of that. Instead, he says he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. There's a Greek 
word for that. It's called kenosis, and it means the emptying of a person's self, not hanging on to their status, but uh, emptying themselves, becoming a servant. And Jesus modeled that this to the fullest, even to the point of giving his own life. Let's think a little more on the scope of the miracle of the incarnation. You know, most miracles take something that's less and make it into something more. Take a sick person and make him into a well one. Take water and make it into wine. Um, take some clay and turn it into a man. Take a rib, make it into a woman. Take five loaves and two fish and make dinner on the grounds for serve a thousand people. Take nothing and create a working universe. That's the type of miracles we think about. The incarnation isn't like any of those. Jesus is taken, like I said, the second person of the Trinity, equal with God. And it seems like he was the one that voiced the world into existence. And you take all that Jesus is and you stuff it into a tiny, helpless infant. Now, instead of the voice that spoke the worlds and the universe into existence, it's this tiny little voice that's crying for his mother's milk. How, how could Jesus fit into that? That little infant. The baby in the manger, so cute and so precious, but oh, the cost. And we haven't even considered the cross. So hopefully we can grasp in some small way the awesome beauty of that infant Jesus. It goes way beyond the surface as in, oh, you know, what a cute baby. This is God in human flesh. This is the seed of redemption. Okay, it feels like I'm getting done early. <clears throat> but I have some side observations. These aren't necessarily the main point of the Christmas story, but just some observations that came to me along the way. Are we willing to live our lives like we're bond slaves of Jesus? And what about the disappointments and the inconveniences of life? You know, it had to be a great inconvenience to Mary and Joseph when that census um, was to take place in Bethlehem. They had to make that trip. Uh, I didn't write it down here, but I think it was about 60 miles. And it was rough, rough and rugged terrain. And Mary was very close to her due date. But it was part of God's plan to fulfill prophecy. And when we look back, can we see that sometimes unpleasant circumstances often end up being part of God's magnific magnificent design.
I think we can take quite a lesson here. Often, you know, often we talk about God designing things in our lives when uh, things are going well and according to plan. And when I say according to plan, I'm, in parentheses, I've got hours. <clears throat> and when something works out so well, we say, oh, I, so wonderful. It, it was a God thing. Do we realize that inconvenient and uncomfortable things can be God things just as well? Let's, let's try to have that outlook. This happened quite a few times with Joseph and Mary. Born in Bethlehem, the result of un inconvenient circumstances. And then the scripture says, Out of Egypt I have called my son, fleeing from the wrath of King Herod, uncomfortable. He shall be called a Nazarene. And Jesus, God moves them up to Nazareth finally. Let's not be quick to dismiss and decry and moan about the disappointments and the inconveniences. Let's keep our eyes open to see what God has in mind. Another little side lesson I always think about with the Christmas story. You know, Jesus isn't all the way finished with his work. Now, redemption is finished as far as our souls, but, um, you know, the full redemption of our bodies and uh, the plan of heaven and everything that's going to happen in between. Um, let's not be so dead set on a certain version of prophecy. Um, I appreciate that we don't we don't hear that around here. Um, that's one reason probably is uh, your leaders are too simple to. Uh, understand those things to start with <clears throat> but um you know with jesus you could have had you could have had three camps as they look forward to the birth of jesus you could have had the bethlehem camp oh he's, he's going to be born in bethlehem you can mark that down um the next one says well i'm not so sure because he's going to be called out of egypt and i bet he's going to be born there and then the third party says uh Oh, he's going to be called a Nazarene. So I'm pretty sure that's where he's coming from. Well, it, it all worked out. But I'm not sure that you could have figured it out ahead of time. So let's read the prophecies. And maybe we can recognize them when they come. And we won't have some mindset, you know, a one-track vision that misses something that's happening over here. Another observation, God loves to work out of the limelight and with common people. That is really good news because that means God may be able to work with us. He may be even, may be delighted to work with us. And here's my final side note that's maybe really a little off the beaten track, but before we wax too eloquent on migrants and refugees, let's remember that 
Jesus himself was part of a refugee family. You'd have seen them on that road to Egypt. That's what they were. They were a refugee family. And I'll leave you with a final question. <clears throat> so how are we celebrating this wonderful thing called the Incarnation? Through the things we are, are the things we practice, our customs, do they fit well with the beauty and the depth of the season? Or might there be in some ways actually a distraction from them? And let's imagine Jesus looking over our shoulder. I, I mean, we say Jesus sees everything we do, right? Let's just imagine Jesus following us around um, this Christmas season. Is he, will he be pleased? Will, will he feel like an integral part of our celebrations? I'm not, I'm not telling you how to celebrate Christmas. I'm just saying it's a, isn't that a valid thing to think of during this Christmas season? Amazing, amazing story. But it's not just a cutesy manger scene. It was real people. It was real danger. It was real dis uh, discouragement. And there, were, uh, there was a cost. And let's be thankful that the people were willing to uh, accept the cost to be part of this beautiful story. I just want to read the, the words of a song I thought of <clears throat> last night. And it just gives a kind of a full picture of Jesus, the type of life he lived, and the Savior that we have to celebrate. The title is, The Cross Was His Own. It goes, They borrowed a bed to lay his head when Christ the Lord came down. They borrowed the ass in the mountain pass for him to ride to town. But the crown that he wore and the cross that he bore were his own. The cross was his own. He borrowed the bread when the crowd he fed on the grassy mountainside. He borrowed the dish of broken fish with which he satisfied. But the crown that he wore and the cross that he bore were his own. The cross was his own. He borrowed the ship in which to sit to teach the multitude. He borrowed a nest in which to rest. He had never a home so rude, but the crown that he wore and the cross that he bore were his own. The cross was his own. He borrowed a room on his way to the tomb, the Passover lamb to eat. He borrowed a cave for him a grave. They borrowed a winding sheet, but the crown that he wore and the cross that he bore were his own. The cross was his own. And even though it's not in here, they, they borrowed the stable and they borrowed the manger. A beautiful story, but at a great cost. How thankful uh, we should be this Christmas season. God bless.